0: views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan for part two of our mid-season team assessment Everton Football Club talking about a lot of different things we'll be talking about first our defensive numbers both as a team and then dialing in on some individuals and then we'll do the same for the attack uh, before we wrap up and then look ahead to what what the heck are we going to do in January I think you'll find if you listen to the previous episode we need help I think that will become even more apparent as we go through numbers on both sides of the ball in this episode and we'll look ahead to Some of the options Frank might have at his disposal with the existing personnel, as well as what we can do in January. But for this episode, focusing primarily on the numbers and maybe alluding to some of those solutions, we'll discuss more in-depth. Gentlemen, we are in the midst of the World Cup. It has been very thrilling today. Morocco pulled off the shock upset, taking out Spain in PKs, and we're down to the final eight. Only two Everton players remain of the five that originally... Started at the World Cup. It is, of course, Jordan Pickford and Connor Cody. Belgium, four. Excuse me. Ryan's Ryan's right. It was four. No, I was just doing the four or something. <laughs> just four. Belgium's out. Senegal knocked out by England in a disappointing performance. If Ghana had played, would have been a totally different story. But England comprehensively uh, dominated them. And Pickford's having a pretty good tournament, getting a lot of praise. Deservedly so. Continuing his performances for Everton. <clears throat> I'd open it up uh to both of you just your general thoughts on the World Cup. Ryan's watched as he said off air almost every game I've watched probably s- as much as I can 60 70% of it. Been uh, more enjoyable than than watching Everton in a lot of respects I would say. You got yeah, that, it's been right.
2: really good. It's been really good uh you know same in terms of streakiness of like being able to catch it but a lot of drama um a lot of exciting players and uh you know honorable honorable mention to Charleston's having a really great tournament uh, apparently now he's like the best player ever according to the public it just wasn't when he was in blue he had another amazing goal against south korea with the head juggles united saw that first um against korea to knock them out in the round of 16 he got to do the pigeon dance with the brazilian manager Tite, which uh i i heard certain pundits were fuming about and then he also got to meet his idol r9 and even got a video of doing the pigeon dance with r9 and 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 literally shed a tear by the way because he met his idol so that was feel good for for me at least
0: the panenka today to close out the the penalty shootout by hakimi was absolutely just awesome today and then he got a kiss from uh, his morocco yeah that was nice wasn't it that's nice um It just goes to show you that Spain, for all the ticky tacky stuff they were doing, ticky tacky, ticky (laughs) tacka. It felt like ticky tacky today. Um, You know, ultimately, you have to have somebody that can beat someone. I mean, I thought they were just too passive Um, on set pieces, everyone just taking a quick pass and putting it back into play. And I I do value possession, even for possession's sake at times, I think it's important. But in that instance, Morocco were just packed in and they couldn't break through but you got to take some chances to do it. And I just think that side is incredibly skilled, but there aren't that many great vertical players, great athletes. So I, I think, um, showed you what a difference Williams came in and, and wh- how, how much of a difference he could make, but yeah, I mean, the England France match going to be really interesting. I think that's going to be, I'm looking forward to, to that one. Portugal's unbelievable today. They were so good. Um, it was interesting to see. Um, Yeah, it's just weird to have it at this time of year. Like I'm still it's still a little bit surreal to me. And in
1: Qatar and like you know, we we haven't really talked about it, but it it's felt weird in a lot of respects. But when you get down to just the matches on the pitch, I mean, been pretty thrilling product overall, taking all the the peripheral stuff out of the picture. It's also just funny to see all of the players that either we've been linked with in the past or played for us in the past and you know, Denzel Dumfries just dominating America, making us wonder what could have been in a blue shirt had he come over. And uh, I don't remember who it was that said Rafa Benitez. Someone on Twitter said Rafa Benitez has blood on his hands. Uh, not totally wrong there.
0: Yeah, he did kill us. That was pretty interesting. <laughs> I still don't think he's, he's as good a wingback, but he's the only type of wingback that could get in there and finish with his size. But, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we got what we got can you say he wasn't even the first choice but yeah that was a done deal unfortunately that mr benitez did not did not like um you know one thing too that i've been thinking a lot about is kind of mental health at this time of year too. to change change um topics real quick and i, I thought it was nice for us to maybe talk a little bit about that send a message out you know not everyone's got i mean i've got like an amazing family situation i'm a pretty happy person and you know in a good situation but um, so many other people seem like that's the case. And this time of year can be very difficult. Family, weather's garbage, you know, that types of things. So I thought it's important for people to know that, you know, if you need someone to talk to, to reach out, uh, there's lots of different alternatives. And I, I, some of this hits pretty close to home. The Everton fan base is talking about it a lot right now. Um, I know Gary Stevens was speaking about it recently about his you know four-year-old son dying, which is just a terrible tragedy. And then the Gary speed, um, anniversary came up. A lot of people talked about it. So I just thought it was something that I wanted to put in the doc and, and I know you guys kind of feel the same way and thought it was worth just giving a message to, to our listeners out there. You know, there's always someone that'll listen to you. Um, now we're more connected than ever. Sometimes that can be overwhelming and terrible. But if you sift through all the garbage, there's there's some good people and good things out there, too. It's just you just got to show a little bit of an effort.
1: Absolutely. yeah. Check on your loved ones. Check on your your blue family as well. We are one big family. So uh, if you need anything, obviously, feel free to drop us a line as well. Hope everyone is enjoying the holidays as much as they can. And if you're having a hard time, hope you're uh, able to get to the other side of it, because there is always there is always another day. Um, and there will be another day for Everton Football Club, and that day is December 26th when they return to action. It is rapidly, rapidly approaching, and so we've got a lot to talk about before they return. And I think before we do that, just you know, one last reminder before we jump into the episode: to follow us on social media, if you like the show, rating and review, all that stuff. Join our Discord, also a fantastic community of Everton fans. Invite.gg/atp. All of the links in the description. Now let's get into it, guys. Part one or part two, technically, of or two a talking about the defense. You know, last episode, we went through kind of the higher level team numbers against our summer expectations and our performance assessment Um, coming out of that. I mean, we are where we are. We're not very good. We've got a lot of opportunities to improve. But I think drilling into, again, both the defensive and offensive numbers will really help us key in on what are the main true problems. And then we, of course, be
0: solution-oriented, look ahead at what those might be. So I thought, I thought we'd start with the defensive end, really, um, the defense, and just pick out some numbers here that I think are interesting. The first one is, is the most blatant one, and I, I sent this tweet out a while ago with some colors and a chart and whatnot, where I kind of took, uh, I broke down our expected goals against, basically the opportunities and the chances that we've conceded, and walked the difference between that and our actual goals against, which is much lower, like it's unbelievable how few goals we've conceded to the point where no one else in the Premier League is even close in terms of having that spread between goals against and expected goals against. Um, In fact, I think we're at 8.4 less goals conceded um, than we maybe should have if you're looking at expected goals against. So um, what's the difference? How can we have such a number where you look at like other clubs like Southampton, I think, and Bournemouth are the opposite. They're like, in the whole, almost eight goals each. So they've had, in theory, some bad luck or bad goaltending. And that's the difference, really. You start with expected goals against, and then you figure out post-shot expected goals against. Meaning as, here is the chance you had, the shot you had. Has your team faced good or bad quality shots? Because there's some matches you see, like Leicester comes to mind where we gave up a lot of chances but i mean those two bangers were just no one saving them you know what i mean and and so that's a little bit unfortunate that you ran up against a team that shot very well and predominantly this year that's not been the case i think we've got about the biggest positive spread in the favor of the team it's it's over 4 in terms of the difference between expected goals against and post-shot expected goals against. Now, on top of that, you've also got now Jordan Pickford, who is completely playing out of his mind. He's one of the best differentials. I think it's second or third in the league. I'd have to go back and double-check on the difference, where even taking those chances that are easier, post-shot expected goals against, factoring in the quality of the shot, he's still been lights out and saving goals at an incredible rate. Now, it's funny because that form is continued on into the world cup. And now since they've seen it at the world cup, they're like, "Oh, well, he just plays so much better for England." No, he is playing out of his mind right now for Everton, but but the problem is it could be a lot worse. I mean, in theory, in theory, if he was having a bad first half and we were facing a lot better shots, I mean, it could be 16 goals different. It sounds a little crazy to say, but then where the heck would we be? Um and look, there there's some arguments about the merits of expected you know, goals against and stuff and different ways to combat that. And and the theory is if you're giving up a lot of like low percentage chances, a high volume of that, it's probably better than giving up just a couple big chances that add up to the same number. Um, But look, I mean, that's kind of a way to look at it. So when you go down and look at some of the stats, um, some of them are kind of volume based, right? I mean, and and some of them aren't good, right? Like we've had the most shots against, but we blocked 31.7% of our shots, which is about the best in the league still that's collectively not a not a great thing right um but then there's some other defensive numbers and i don't know if any one of these things kind of jump out at you but it's really a mixed bag beyond that um and i guess that's kind of what you get tactically when you're kind of conceding a lot of shots but um i don't know james and alex there's anything in there the numbers are staring you guys at the face um anything really jump out to you that you're surprised about or particularly offended by well i think it's interesting you look at you know, what, what's
1: good for Everton relative to the rest of the league? So if our objective is roughly mid-table, then our defensive dual win rate is 11th in the league, which isn't great, but it's also not terrible. We're fourth in interceptions per 90, which is good, but we also don't have the ball very much, so True. you'd hope that we're winning it back pretty often. <clears throat> Dribble rate, six lowest, also good. So teams aren't dribbling past us, but then you factor in the fact we're, for the most part, sitting behind the ball and keeping teams in front of us. So some of those numbers indicate that we're, they're indicative of the tactics, but they're also indicating that we're not always that easy to beat, but we're still at the end. You think about, okay, but we're still conceding the most shots. So even if we're winning a lot of defensive duels, intercepting
0: it a lot, that still means teams are getting shots off very easily and regularly. Yeah. I mean, it's good that we're stepping up and picking off passes every now and then, but you know, what do you translate that into? And this is why soccer is difficult to break down like this. It's such a fluid game. Uh, The one that struck out for me is aerial win rate, 38.8% out there. That's the worst in the league. I feel like last year, we were almost the best. That to me is a little bit striking. I mean, so it's, we are sitting back a little bit, but it's not quite, I mean, sometimes it looks recently, it's looked like Rafa ball a little bit, but it's not quite that bad. But, I mean, other than Tark, I mean, my God, some of these numbers are just terrible. And the offensive numbers in particular, I mean, they're commingled in here, are really bad. You know, and thats it's kind of like what happened last year where Benitez wanted to play hoofball and you had Richarlison up there just getting destroyed in the air by center backs. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we're dispossessing the other team pretty well. I mean, almost 12 of those, second highest in the league. So, um, some of that is all very good. Um, But we're bad in the air. We're still giving up too many shots. Are we good in the tackle? We're good against dribbles. But I think what's really interesting here is that, look, it's where we're making the tackles and where we're making the duels. That, to me, I think, tells the story. And that's kind of the problem. So, look, we give up over 28 touches in the penalty area per 90. That's second worst in the league. Right. And then, look, we're second in tackles one. Okay, great. You know, and you saw some of the numbers up there. You know, we're we're engaged. Um, but only 10% of the tackle attempts are happening in the attacking third. That's 17th in the league and 52.3% of the attempts are in the defensive third, which is the fifth most. So, I mean, to me that, that, I mean, that kind of, I think that's probably the most telltale numbers when I look at them. Yeah, we have the lot of
1: last ditch tackles. We're really kind of up against the wall, constantly having to prevent these, the, Deluge of shots from coming in. One quick thing before we move on. I just wanted to shout out. Uh, you have Anthony Gordon's aerial win rate at 23.5%, and that feels incredibly generous to me because I feel like he, I never see
0: him win aerials. He is, I won't pile on. Well, why would you ever send him an aerial? I mean, that's part of the issue. That's though, what too. I mean. I mean, and and we talked about that though. We talked about Pickford's launch rates and things like that. And you know, part of it is you're you're not doing yourself any favors if you're not winning the ball in the air like that. Why is the ball in the air? I, I mean, Neil, fantastic question. The moped. I mean, the moped, for example. Like I, I know we're talking about defense, but that's a perfect example. It's just not his gift. You know, holding up play is not really his gift. He's the last guy. He arrives in the box. His movement's amazing. He creates all sorts of chances. But, you know, you got to feed the guy. But, I mean, I, I just think it's it's just overall bad. You know, it's tons of shots and touches in the defensive third. It's a lot of luck. Pickford's flat out carrying us. And so when we do win the ball, which is good, we're so deep in the pitch, we just can't get it out. And maybe some of this is that we can't hold the ball up, right? I mean, because it's 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 all interrelated um, so it's a part of its lack of possession and we'll get to that in a second too. Uh, but I think there's some other things here that almost the shape I think is conducive to it.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about that gap between the midfield and the defense, how the defense was, was keeping such a, um, such a low block line essentially. And the midfield is very strung out and Ghana is covering this, that, and the other space. And, and it seems like that could contribute to the fact that we're not winning balls Anywhere near as much in the midfield because of the fact that you know we're not able to challenge if we're disjointed constantly if if our backline is so disconnected if if God is the only one able to cover all that space it makes sense that he's going to have to straight line it back to the top of the box and he can challenge there once he catches up and gets back into position.
0: Yeah, it'd be nice at least if we could free up some of the guys to be a little bit more aggressive. You know, putting numbers behind the ball doesn't mean that you can't spring an attack either. Um, but when you're pushed and so easily bypassed. I mean, there's nothing you can do as a defensive line. You can't be aggressive. You know, you just don't have the numbers. Um, so look, okay, let's break down some individual performances on the defensive end. So, um, you guys know I have some basic player models out there and, you know, I've got them queued up and, um, I run dad every now and then mostly for, for targeting ID and some of the stuff I do. But, um, in this instance, I decided to run them all in the premier league. So I picked any player with over, 400 minutes in the premier league and I've got it all set up in Y scout spits it out. And so, uh, so let's start with Michelinco. I've got him in the 20th. It's like my composite index 20th out of 26 left backs. Uh, but some of the numbers are, I think a lot of people have this impression that he's been just this phenomenal defensive player. Some of these numbers are a little surprising. I think you know, um, like nineteenth in defensive duels one out of out of twenty six. Like that's not a high number. Those are ground battles basically at, at fifty eight point six percent. Um, you know, eighteenth in duels for left backs, twenty fourth in area win rate. Okay, not a surprise, but for a team without the ball a lot, I mean, he he's playing fullback. He's not playing center half, and he's like five eleven. Um, I think being six in percentage adjusted interceptions is a good thing, but I I just for me, I see a very passive player is not getting in the attack that I would expect a little bit. So better defensive metrics, I think, than that. Don't you think? Um, I know you guys know I'm a little biased. I'm not not the biggest. Fan. I think he's so limited. It's hard for me to separate to the fee that we paid for him. But I think he he prevents us from doing a lot of things, I think. But it seems like a lot of people have raved about some of his defensive performances this year. I'm not sure if those numbers really say that.
1: Yeah, I mean I think he's popped up it's it's the eye test, right? Or like the anecdotal recency bias, whatever you want to call it. Where he'll show up with a big tackle in a in a moment and save a breakaway goal or stop a guy and people are like, "Oh, he's been amazing." But then you take that out and actually look at the the full picture and yeah, he he does tend to be passive. I think he, I think his lack of athleticism compared to a lot of other players, a lot of wingers, A lot of, you know, opposition fullbacks who are getting up the pitch makes him limited because he doesn't, you know, we know on the offensive side of the ball, he can't really beat a man, but he, you know, he contains well, but he doesn't close down and and make tackles all that well all the time. Um, And I think, you know, even though a lot of teams have attacked the other side of the pitch and have attacked Patterson and Coleman at times this year, when he's been called upon, he's made some good plays in individual moments, but the body of work as a
0: whole has been, I think, a little underwhelming. You know, it's pretty interesting too when you look at kind of tackles and interceptions combined, because those are the big numbers that that we've read about a couple times. He had two monstrous games in the West Ham and Southampton victories. I mean, he had six combined tackles and interceptions in West Ham, eight against Southampton. Clearances out the wazoo, four blocks against West Ham. He had another pretty big game against Fulham in the draw, but th- those numbers really are much higher. And it's funny after the Southampton match. The numbers plummeted. You know, he had a couple, like he played our he played real well against Liverpool. First match against Chelsea was pretty tough, you know. But those two really jump out. So I, I think that's what we remember. Remember those standout performances, maybe, and and just don't realize the whole body of work is maybe not that great. What do you think, Alex? I mean,
2: I think, you know, and to your point about, hey, we have, you know, we uh we don't have the ball a lot, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I would also pose the question, hey. You know, maybe we maybe we don't have the ball a lot, but haven't they been attacking our right side predominantly throughout the season? Am I wrong to say that? I, I would That's be interested, point. you know, I this is such a small detail, but one of the things I'm most impressed about with Mikolinko is his ability to block across. I'd really be interested to see. Well, A, I don't know if they measure that. And if they do, I'd be interested to see, uh I'd be interested to see how that stacks up. I think uh I'm definitely surprised by it. I am also encouraged by like the good matches. As you said, he has had some really, really high highs this season. Um, and I think he can grow into it.
0: You know what though, Alex, I think you make a really good point. Cause if then, if you look at Patterson's numbers, Don't by the way, them, I, stick around. No, I mean, but, <laughs> but, 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 well, Hey, um, <laughs> I mean, someone's gotta be listening to us for a reason, right? Um, uh, he's actually a little bit higher ranked in terms of my composite index. He's 16th out of 27 right backs. But he is active. He's got the eighth most defensive duels, seventh best win rate in duels, which is good. Nineteenth area win rate. Another just he's bad in the air, though. He's just flat out is, which makes no sense because he's big and athletic. Um, you may be right. I mean, that may be the reason that his numbers are so high in terms of activity. You know, it's like it's kind of like the, the corner in football that no one throws at. Well, every because time you they, know what? Every time you they know do, it's he... like, why did you throw at him? You idiot.
2: Yeah. Guess what? It didn't get better when he was out injured. Here comes Coleman at right back. <laughs> That's even more reason.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a little more passive His win rate was a little better, which is what you'd expect. If you're, you're more passive, you want to win the ones you're at. But I think we have problems with the fullbacks in general. Um, But I'm not so sure that's because they're terrible individually, necessarily. It might be more of an issue in terms of how they're being utilized. So I did want to talk about the, the dads, the center half pairing that we have with Tarkowski and Cody. And, they're very different. Tarkowski is a lot more active. Cody is, well, we'll get to Cody in a second. So Tarkowski's got some good defensive metrics here. I mean, he's, he's the ninth most active ball winner, fourth in possession adjusted interceptions, uh, per 90 first in shots blocked by a mile. Now, I, I mean, he's at over two per 90. I think no one else on the team is, or I think no one else period in the league maybe is above like 1.21 per 90, which is ridiculous, but His problem is, out of 55 center halves in the Premier League with over 400 minutes, he is 53rd in defensive duels one percentage. Think about that. 53rd out of 55. So, yeah, he's active. He is not winning a lot of... Now, he has had times where he's gone in for a tackle and the ball's bounced off the other guy and went behind him and some other things, but... But the problem here is, okay, that you're really active is great, but you're not winning any. Like, that is a shocking number, and I just wonder if we don't see it as much, or it's not as magnified because Cody's covering for him so often. Um, Because here are some other numbers, and I think we should talk about him as a unit. Cody's literally the least active center back in the Premier League in my models. Um, He's 54th out of 55 in successful defensive actions per 90. But the worst part about that is he's also 45th in duels one. Uh, So it's like one thing, like you're never having a defensive action and you're really bad at winning them. And he's terrible in the air, obviously. We know 48th in aerial win rate. I mean, I I cannot uh, just numerically from a defensive standpoint, he is a good passer. It's just atrocious. I mean, those numbers are so bad. Now Maybe you could argue, well, that's because he's covering from guys that are maybe a little more aggressive at having to clean up the garbage. But he's not really. I mean, it's just... uh, I know a lot of people are happy and think these guys are great together, but I think they're. I think it's very bad. Now, am I? Is that something so is he that proving surprises some people's
2: you? point? Is he? Is he proving some people's point or thought that he pretty much primarily can only play in a back three?
0: Yes, I think a hundred percent he's proving that point. Um, and I think that's the issue when, when I watched him on film and we talked about it when we did the summer episode, um, he backs off, he backs off, he backs off constantly, constantly, he never steps up, never steps up. So it makes it really difficult to play and support. Like if you want to play a higher line, he he can't do it. I don't think. And I think that's the issue. He's so lacking in quickness and agility that when he's in space and Tarkowski's not real quick either when he's out in space, like you can't leave him alone. He'll get absolutely roasted. And he, he makes up for that by stepping back. And, I mean, but to that extent, like, God, geez, sometimes you got to step up and win something. So it, it's, and I just don't think his ball playing quite makes up for it. Um, now if you're going to be a possession based side, you know what I mean? That's fine. Then yeah, you'd never have any duels really. Cause you're on the ball the whole time, but clearly that's not the case. But that being said, look, he's on a loan. It's a low purchase fee. I, I don't blame us for, I mean, I, I was against the deal, but I mean, w- what are you going to do? You know, um, I will say this though. The defensive mids have helped at times. And and I think that's really the key to having an effective defensive here. You got to shield those guys with some level of protection. Um, I know a lot of people have been. It's very funny that those two center halves have been praised so much. And address a guy I feel like has been people have kind of been critical of him recently. I mean, his numbers are not. I mean, they're, they're basically what we thought they would be. Are they not? Yeah. I mean, again, he's he's another one where he he'll make the errant
1: pass. And everyone gets on his back, but you reflect on his body of work and it's pretty remarkable and scary to think where we'd be without him. It's the third best ball winner, third most uh, possession adjusted interceptions per 90 third, most defensive duels per 90. So not only is he extremely active, but he's very successful at being active. He's a menace to yeah. opposition and that in front when he's sitting in front of Cody and Tarkowski helps shield them a little bit and protect them. So
0: mostly Cody doesn't have to do as much, but also Tarkowski to an extent as well. And I think the sad part is he's such a good ball winner. I feel like it takes something away from him. If you kind of leave him to deal with that space by himself, I mean, you want to let him loose a little bit. I think that's why a lot of people think he's better in a two, um, rather than a a single, you know, defensive mid in front of two midfielders. And he, Onana, needs the pos- he needs the
2: freedom to be able to position himself in it, order to make the tackles, right? In order to read the match, in order to understand where the ball may be coming and where he needs to be to give him the advantage to make it.
0: And I think when you look at all his heat maps, it's all the right side. He's trickling over there constantly. It's kind of ridiculous at this point. I just feel like they got to do something with the midfield. But But it's funny, Onana's numbers are pretty good defensively, too. I mean, I've got I've got. I mean, he's the sixth best ball winner Um, in, in at least my kind of the way I break down. um, I have like my collective index and then I have different ones in there. But he's first in possession adjusted tack- slide tackles, which doesn't surprise you at all, right? He's That's got, amazing. I know, the I know. telescopic legs, man. Yeah, but I mean, look, I, I think so. If you've got gone, I've got him as the 11th out of 64 best uh, defensive. I put the center mids and defensive mids kind of together. And Onan is at 19th. He's played well at times. I just feel like you, you can get you could do something. I mean, you mix into Corey here. I feel like you've got something here. Um we'll get to the shape in a little bit, but I, I think there's some good news here. I mean, clearly you watch these guys at times and you think if they're playing the right way, who would want to play through these guys?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I personally feel like we can see better from them, right? I mean, things that we've mentioned plenty of times before, you know, if we clean up the shape and and give them specifically, you know, consistency in what roles they're Great playing. Point you know what I mean? And and sort out the back line, all things that we've been saying would lead you to believe that, you know, they can improve immensely, especially Onana, obviously. Um, And and I feel like that's definitely a big positive and a big takeaway from it too. Right. I mean, especially since we have to reach for any positive numbers on this sheet and this is the time boys, the time is now.
0: Well, true. But, but look, (laughs) I mean, the the conclusion for all this stuff though is, you know, it's pretty obvious really. I mean, we, we just have to push the ball up a bit higher. We've got to win the ball a little bit higher. We have to defend a smaller space. We're so stretched out. And 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 we've got to keep the ball more, too. We'll get to that in a second. But look, personnel-wise, though, you've got some li- I mean, can you do that with the limitations you have on some of these guys? I mean, so so I guess the proposed solution,
1: do we just say our whole back line, just start being I-
0: incredibly aggressive, like start going in for tackles? It's not going to happen, right? I mean, so can can you do that? Can Michelinco be aggressive?
2: I mean, I think... If he puts his mind to it. But if,
1: but what is what is the trade-off there? Because, like, I mean, obviously right now the results aren't good. Does telling Mikaleko to go in on every no, tackle no, he no. sees, like, benefit
0: us? No. No, but the solution then is then accept the fact that they're passive and don't have a single D-mid out there all by himself. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you got to choose how you're going to play. And I right- thought
2: I thought we had Cody in the back line to yell at them when to run. I thought well, that was the strength. You know what it is?
0: He's not pointing enough. <laughs> he's not pointing enough and um you know what i i was going to take this in a very bad direction but i'm going to move do on it. from there but Restrain. look yeah, but, but look, here's the problem cody is so passive and generally not winning anything sitting back so i'm glad the tark is more active but he's not winning anything right back is its own kind of issue in terms of a defensive standpoint um I, I think the challenge there is there's not much i mean can you really get sure you can push tark up but he'll just get caught out you could push Cody up and he probably have a heart attack and it's just natural, not natural for him or Mikalinko to go forward. So you've got an issue where you've got a passive back line with maybe one exception and you've got a lot of space for them to deal with because the midfielders are pushed up to me. You got to condense that space. I mean, you have to in some capacity. Um, Now that being said, eventually we're going to get into the players market. We still have a lot of injuries on the back line. I mean, is there any combination of players out there? Do you feel like can, can help with this a little bit? I'm not, I mean, I I don't know how much you can rely on Mina. What about Godfrey? He's got speed. I mean, is that, you gotta think maybe?
2: Yeah, I mean, James pointed it out, I think last episode or episode before last, you know, brought to everyone's attention, hey, Mina and Godfrey were the starting center back pairing, you know, start of the season when when he had everyone available prior to injury. And, you know, it it is definitely fair to say that both of them probably offer something different, uh, strengths in different ways, right? Godfrey definitely has the pace to recover. So maybe if you're, if you're trying to inch your back line forward, he helps a lot. Um, Mina obviously is aggressive and and better with passing in general. And again, we talked about, you know, back three is, is Cody better in a back three? Does that, you know, does that kind of justify, um, you know, continuing with him and and his quote unquote leadership qualities. And, you know, just the wild thought of even again, we saw it before a little bit under Carlo, I think uh, Coleman at right center back, you know, probably in my mind that would, you know, if, if we were to go back to a back three and, and for some reason we needed it, he could contribute there better than at right back, for example. I mean,
0: even if you can't rely on Mina and he's never going to be healthy again, which <laughs> I swear I feel it like I know there's no jinx, but I'm just saying. Um, if you put Cody behind Tark and Godfrey and we see the Tarks being aggressive, you know, it's one thing to be aggressive and attack and win things. There's another thing to kind of be aggressive because you feel compelled to be so. And I think that's part of the reason why he's lost a lot of battles. But I thought, I thought Godfrey looked very good as a right center half as part of a three. Like he he actually looked natural carrying the ball out. Um when I watched him play at Norwich, he he showed more ability to pass and distribute than he has with us. It's a thought. I mean, it's an option. It's something to think about. I, I just think there's something in the personnel there that you might be able to get out. Um, I also think that vinagre to ignore him is kind of silly so i i think there may be there's enough numbers there that maybe you could come up with something that that works maybe maybe change. Yeah, i mean what, what what do you think i mean yes no
2: yeah it just comes down to like we said before right let's see once people get consistently healthy and frank actually has to make the choices when he has the ability based yeah. on personnel to make these decisions back two, back three blah blah blah. let's see yeah, how as it much takes as- out I've
1: kind of ragged on the back three and, you know, the five at the back. But part of me is like, you know, if you have these guys like Connor Cody being uber passive, but then you have a guy like Ben Godfrey in there who is so athletic that he can and and also prone to errors. But you can those errors are less punishing if you have someone more passive to counteract that. So even though Connor Cody might not be that good, if you've got Ben Godfrey just wreaking havoc and bodying people all over the place, then those mistakes he makes aren't as punishing and then you have an actual role for Cody instead of just backing off everyone and giving all kinds of space and we give up a bajillion shots a match
0: no i think it can work and if we're defending in the final third and you got guys jumping out trying to win the ball and then run with it you got Mikelinko's a little conservative anyway can kind of cover for Tark's side and you know vice versa on the right side however you want to set it up it can work i mean there're plenty of unfortunately there's this kind of strange attitude about a small portion of fans that say Well, back three, that's just negative and defensive. It's not at all. I mean, how many teams are up there playing with the back three? That's very successful as an attacking team. Many of them, for sure. So I I think it's an interesting thought, Um, and we're going to eventually get to that part three. But before we move into the attack, which is next, let's take a quick little break for a word from our sponsors. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back and we are into part two B
1: Everton's attack. And uh, if you've watched Everton, you know that scoring goals has not been our forte this season. Now, it seems, you know, you might hope that, okay, well, you know, we started off the season kind of rough. Maybe things will start to improve, but the trend is actually indicating, unfortunately, kind of the opposite. Um, After the Southampton match, we're averaging 0.79 XG per match. Less than one. Less than one, folks. Four goals in seven matches. Again, like, this isn't a surprise. We've known we went multiple matches with out a shot on target, or barely any shots on target. It's been historically bad in terms of offense generation. And those four goals in seven matches, three of them were against Crystal Palace. So really one. How good does
0: Palace have to feel about themselves right now? I mean, look at that record. Like this team is the worst attacking team is going on. One of the worst stretches in club history. And we couldn't even score them. The only (laughs) attack is the heart attack. Or we gave up three stats. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these are, these are bad. There's not a lot of positives here. I mean, the XG were 15th, which actually is better than the defense. So think about that for a second. Um, And I've been maintaining this, but goals four. I mean, we're second last in the league. So, all right, let's break down the attacking numbers a little bit. The obvious ones to go through is kind of like the shooting and the creation numbers in the final third, how good we are. And I'm not going to play the game. You know how bad we are, but um, one positive. See, I view this as a positive metric to me. Is that the difference between our actual goals and the expected goals a non-penalty? I mean, it's a negative five point four difference. That's the eighteenth in the league. So that's third worst. Um, Onana is a guilty party, where he's like a negative one point seven. Gray's bad. The moped, not his strong suit. Is a he's not a clinical finisher. He creates a lot more. McNeil is our best. um Iwobi and Gordon are about right. But see, to me. To me, that's a positive because those things tend to iron themselves out. You know, they 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 tend to kind of even themselves out over time.
1: That's regression uh, to the mean for you.
0: Sure, uh, the defensive one is the, the, will give you a heart attack though. <laughs> um, but I think there's uh, there's some issues with individuals here, and we'll get to that in a second. And we're 17th in shots per ninety, which isn't good. And look, our touches in the penalty area, we don't even get 19 a game. That's 15th. And I'll tell you what, the shot created actions is kind of an interesting metric that that the breakdown is interesting in our instance we're kind of in the middle off like defensive plays that have created shots we are dead last in shot created actions off the dribble now does that surprise you or is it It, i mean isn't that exactly the way you view things i mean we get the ball out to our guys trying to dribble around they just can do nothing
2: it is but the interesting thing is that's our wingers perceived strength nobody says i think that gordon and gray are fantastic at passing
0: well they'd be wrong
2: they surely. Uh, well, yeah,
0: that's true. They're not good at passing. They surely either, don't so. say, "Look
2: at that ball they just swung in on the cross right there."
0: Nobody says that. So
2: what do well, we have?
0: Well, look. I mean, they all have their individual strengths and weaknesses. Maybe more weaknesses than strength. But so look, I, look, we get few touches in the penalty area. Poor fishing, finishing, lack of creation. It's just poor quality. It's hard to argue that. But here's what's interesting. Who has the most touches in the penalty area in our team? And it's predominantly, and I know we always trash these guys. So, I mean, and they deserve it, frankly, based on performances this year. But Gray's got 52. Gordon's got 39. Gray has one goal. Gordon has three. Neither have an assist. Again, I hate assists. But, I mean, Gordon's shot rated actions per 90 is, from open play, I think is 1.83. His XA expected assists is like 0.6. I mean, he's a black hole of creation. It's just terrible. You know, the sad part is DeMauri gray is actually created a bit. Uh, some of those are set pieces, but his expected assist is over two only a is higher. So maybe it's a little bit of bad luck for him in terms of the people that are getting on the end of it, but okay, fine. Let's break it down in individuals. I mean, we're going to beat up on gray and Gordon a little bit more, but I want to focus on some of the other guys. So, I have 52 wide players running my data through Y scout with over 400 minutes in the premier league. So far, Dwight McNeil's numbers are really interesting because once he gets in there, he's kind of efficient actually. Um, but out of those 52 wide players, he's 46 in touches in the box and like the bottom five are wingbacks, basically the way you have to set up the positions. It just works out that way. And he's 51st in key passes from open play. Only Christian Pulisic is worse. I might add, um, which shows you that Christian, all he's doing right now is dribbling and shooting. 39th and crossing accuracy, which is outrageous considering what a good crosser the ball he is. So, I mean, how do we get him further up the pitch? Because his creation numbers are actually pretty good, considering how few times he's got up there. And and would the midfield restructuring help things, um, is he back because of the fullback? I mean, this is kind of what you're saying, Alex. If they're attacking on that side the whole time, is it on him? Is that his fault? Or is that a structural issue? What do you guys think?
2: No, I mean, I it well. A, it, no, it's not his fault at all. Um, B, it's very clear instruction, and and I also think it's interesting in this in in this conversation specifically to note that he's definitely more talented than the other outside players in terms of his defensive ability, right? Like he he does put in a pretty good shift. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm Gordon not saying does. Gordon, Gordon yeah, I'm not saying Gordon is out grinding, but I'm saying, you know, uh, McNeil is pretty good in the tackle True. and supports well. Um, you know, I also wonder, hey, is it is it a function of that's the guy you're bringing on for that reason? Um, is it a function of, hey, he's good at it? You know, he's serving a purpose. Um, we know he's not going to give you that vertical speed, right? So he's either going to ha- he's either going to stay back or he's going to tuck in and kind of get forward. But it's an interesting conversation to have.
0: Yeah, there's we have so to many- find
2: more from him. Is, yeah. is it?
0: I mean, the best way to get people up is to have possession and give them time to get forward. And maybe some of it is him being hesitant. That could be it. On the right side, you know, he's not plied a lot on the right side. I, I still like him on the right side. Um, but that could be part of it. So if you've got someone on the right side, maybe their thought was that's one of the reasons why Obi was drifting over the right. I don't think so. I think he's there out of defensive support and Anana's up higher uh, for a target. Um, I don't know. I, I think we'll get to that a little bit more in more detail when we talk about solutions in part three. But, okay, and and Gordon can't create, we know that. I mean, 46th out of those 52 players and expected assists, 45th and keep passes, 42nd and crosses to the box per 90, 45th and crossing percentages. My God. So here are some interesting numbers that you guys might find interesting. And because there's only so many bad numbers you can get from your wide play. Outside of the wingers, um, Patterson, the Moped, Onana are number two through number four in touches in the penalty area. Onana and Moped both have 25 touches in the penalty area and their combined shots created actions from open play is less than Awobi's. Combined, they are. And Awobi only has 18 touches in the penalty area. Um, So, listen, this is even scarier stat, okay? Now, keep in mind, Scout has key passes outside of set pieces. They've got us at only 1.99 key passes per 90 and a Wobie is at 0.74 almost half of it no one who plays regularly is it better than 0.32 Nikolinko. i mean so think about that i mean you're only getting about two key passes per 90 from open play and you've got no one per 90 who's over 0.32 other than a Wobie. i mean that to me is just that's like jaw-dropping to me honestly hey. it is it shouldn't is it really though when you watch us, I mean, we're so devoid of creation from open play, um well, just to put it into
1: that perspective of like this the scale of it, yeah, like, yeah, I it know it's bad, bad, but it's like wow, that is that a i mean it shouldn't surprise anyone that be almost half of our shark created actions, that's why we've relied on him so heavily, where we'd be without him, who knows, but the fact that onana and Mopai both have the same number
0: of well, touches in the penalty area. Now, keep in mind that's key passes too. Key passes is the immediate key. assist basically right, to the right, shot. Right, right, right. So, shot created actions could be like the hockey assist type thing. But yeah, True. I mean it's, it's it's still it's just So he, here's even worse though, actually. I was thinking about this. <laughs> Don't so, tell me
1: it gets worse.
0: It actually does. To 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 Alex's point, would you say this team is has a bunch of bad dribblers? I mean, they have a guys that'll dribble a lot in terms of volume so our dribbling i think we're 11th in 1v1 in dribbling attempts per y scout per 90 at 21.7 we are 19th in success rate 46.2 percent i mean that's just so bad at so many levels now look alex Awobi's a culprit here too because he's not been able to beat people 1v1 a lot because he's been playing deeper i get that but like mcneil who's a good dribbler is it 40.5%? He's 49th out of those 52 wingers. Um, but, but we and you know, have not dribbled often. That's, that's the big difference. Gray has 95 dribble attempts, according to Y scouts, second highest in the league. And he's at wow. 50, but he's at 53.68%, which is 21st in the league. It's not that bad, but it's not great. I mean, if you're going to dribble that much, that's not a good number still to me. And Gordon's at 54. He's the 29th most in the league. And he's not even a 52%. So he, he's even worse. So, I mean, to me, this is just alarm bells ringing. We can't create a progress via the dribble at all. Um, and, we, and we're we struggling in the final third. So what's it, left?
2: It, so Well, you know, all of this is to say, too, right? Like these numbers are affected by decision making as much as they are skill and ability. Very much. So, you know, as a caveat, <clears throat> as a caveat to what we're saying, right? It's also fair to say that, you know, they're both young-ish. You know, Ryan, you've harped on the fact that Gordon doesn't get his head up. You know, a lot of people have said, hey, Gray, it's just he's lacking in that final third decision making and and instinct and, you know, can you take it immediately when you receive it? Um, I think all that plays a factor. And it, it's it's also fair to say if they can find the balance a little bit better, regardless of setup, that, you know, it can improve. It doesn't mean that they are really, really bad.
1: It, and they can't be isolated either, right? Like a lot of times we find that. The wingers can be isolated, but the, the 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 headline here of like our two starting wingers, every time they dribble, it's basically a coin flip of whether they'll win it or not. That that's probably not great.
0: Yeah, and then they're not atrocious. I mean, they're, I mean, they're not. I mean, geez, if you're going to be second highest in the league, you think you'd, I mean, dial it or, back there a little bit.
2: Or do they feel like that's the only decision they can make because they don't have the support?
0: Right, and that's the key. So it's kind of like, all right, well, can we pass it to get it into the final third? Or can we pass it? I mean, we saw the creation numbers. And so that's why I thought it was interesting. Let's look at kind of progressive passing, final third passing. Um, and I think it's it's maybe worse. Uh, we can't pass the ball into dangerous areas at all. And so Scott' definition is a little bit different in terms of progressive passes, but we're 19th in progressive passes. And But look at this. This is interesting. But the percentage of completion, 72.4% is eighth. (laughs) Interesting. Now, passing to the final third is a problem. We haven't attempted many, 42.77 per 90. That's 16th. The completion percentage, though, isn't even 65%. It's 18th. So we've attempted very few. And the ones we've attempted, we've not completed. And it's just unbelievable when you look at these numbers. I mean, so we talked about this before coming on the pod. James, this is the one you were hanging on like, what? That doesn't even make sense.
1: Yeah, talking about uh, progressive attempts into the final third. Yeah, just passing into the final third. Passing into the final third. Passing attempts into the final third. And Awobi, far and away the leader. Well, he's he's the leader with 110 attempts, which is 19th in the league. But then you look at the completion percentage, 73%. Tarkowski, 97 attempts, passes into the final third with only a 71% completion then you look at, like, Nathan Patterson, 42%, 20, only 26 attempts, though. Holgate, 28%, 32 but, attempts. But, like,
0: 42%, 28%. I mean, that's, some of this is picked for two, but, like, like Gunn that's, already has 37 attempts, and he's almost at 76%. So, I mean, that's you, you just. D- you don't see percentages that low without it just being a, a, a prayer a launch right and look we're not man city man city is almost 82 percent as a team in terms of passing the final third that is an outrageous number but you've also got guys like declan rice he's leading the league he's almost at 92 percent completion rate passes in the final third now granted not many of them are, are incisive or or dangerous Rodri's at 87%. I mean, that's the type of thing, but like, I think the damning part about that is then you look at like completed passes into the penalty area per 90, barely six, a match 16th, you know, and a and, and Gray are the only ones that are really getting in there. So, okay, fine. We can't pass it in there very well. What about our crossing? Because you're running out of options here. You're like, what is the strategy that will actually be successful if you can't get in the final third penalty area enough to have, you know, chances in that way. What about crossing it in there? And and look, our completed crosses in the penalty area per 90 is not even two. It's like fourteenth, which is actually better than some of those other numbers. What's interesting is Y Scout has our cross attempts is only 17th. But our percentage is over 35%. It's fifth in the league. But that being said, we only 22 completed crosses into the six-yard box all season, 17th in the league. So we're obviously not firing a volume of crossing in there, even if we're crossing it okay. I mean, the conclusions here are pretty dramatic. I mean, we've got to get more touches in the final third for sure, right? And we have to get it in there more efficiently. And then when we do, we've got to get much better production from the wide areas. I mean, Gray, you could argue, has maybe been a little unlucky in his creation. Yes, Alex, you're right. He has an issue. Two touch gray. Like if you played a drinking game where you had to drink every time you had a one touch, you would never have a sip. You'd be completely stone sober. So for you know, people with problems, there you go. There's your solution. Um, Gordon's just been terrible. McDeal's been pinned <laughs> too deep. I mean, this just speaks though. I mean, <laughs> for the most part, it's very easy to look at this and say we just need better players. Um but are there some other players that could help this a little bit? You know, is this cause you can't ignore what they're doing without consideration of, of like the way the moped plays, because he's not out there necessarily helping the wingers. Right. Does Dominic Calvert-Lewin make a difference here?
2: I mean, everyone would claim he does, right? <clears throat> Obviously it makes a difference to the team in how we play. We've seen him for a couple matches, but it's, you know, I think it's fair to say he still has to ramp up in terms of match fitness being out for so long. We're not going to see the best of Dominic Calvert-Lewin like under, let's say, Carlo Ancelotti right out the gate. But I I mean, I'm curious because, you know, he offers obviously being able to play off him more. You know, we talk about, hey, you know, can the forwards hold the ball in which then the midfielders, the fullbacks can actually support in the attack and have a better shape going forward? You know, maybe he's an option. He's a big target in the box for crosses. Uh, I have a funny note that says maybe Frank can stop getting Onana to post up really high to be a target because Dominic Calvert-Lewin is not there. Um, I'm just interested to hear your take or like, James, do you think Calvert-Lewin getting a run of games in, do you think he could affect like a marked improvement for like Gray Gordon McNeil? Do you think he has that big of an effect?
1: Yeah, I think this is probably stating the obvious, but you keyed in on it there, Alex. Calvert-Lewin with a run of games under his belt, I think helps his team a lot. I think and that's what we've been crying out for and needed to see from him for so long is like, this guy's just been hurt. He's been hurt. He can't stay fit. So I think like Calvert-Lewin, two or three games back from injury, A, I don't think he's as much of a problem for opposition defenses to worry about. They don't, he hasn't really reached the highs that he reached under Carlo Ancelotti where he was really a poacher and drew a lot of attention, but he's still a big body of physical presence. So he'll create problems. His holdup play, I think is key, just retaining possession because we've been so poor at that being able to get opportunities for Gordon and Gray in the midfield to push up higher to provide that support around him. But there does need to be, I think, a different tactical approach as well in terms of the midfield shape, being able to give Calvert-Lewin options when he receives the ball. We can't just go on with this hoofball, even if it is dominant Calvert-Lewin on the end of some of those hoofballs, and hoping that we can just get the ball down and somehow create something out of that. There has to be a more cohesive strategy. We have to have a better shape. We've got to utilize the guys like Awobi who are actually effective. We've got to get McNeil up higher. I would love to see, you know, McNeil, Awobi, Dominic Calvert Lewin playing off one another and, and creating chances. I think that that trifecta may be our not our only hope, but certainly a,
0: a good option for us. Uh, if that's the case, you still got to get some guys in the wide spaces that can really still still help progress the ball up the pitch if they're if you're gonna play those guys higher, which is fine. And that's what I got. I got to think about like maybe the fullbacks is the key here. I mean, if you can possess the ball and get them more forward Patterson is the one that drives me crazy because I feel like that's the guy that we, we saw great cross in Australia that the moped headed home. And I was like, where has that been? Because when you watched him play in Scotland, granted he was basically rarely defending. He was constantly in the attack, but he's, he's gifted when he gets into the final third is his ability to serve a ball. He can even cut inside and crack a shot with his left. It's kind of interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, it's just numbers are bad. I mean, you know, just out of those 27 right backs mean he's only 15th in cross percentage, 14th in crosses total. He's seventh in dribbles per 90. So, but he's, he's not successful in his dribbling, which is a shame because I I think he's shown some ability. So that's the thing that fans see because they're watching the ball so often that you see what he does on it. But I mean, look, the guys created almost nothing. I mean, he's tied for dead last in expected assists of those 27 right backs. I mean, it's less than 0.01 and he's not winning any offensive duels. He's like 19th, even though Coleman is 26 out of 27th and winning duels at right back. So the problem is they're not getting forward to even attack or win duels. We got to get more aggressive, but I'm sure he feels like he can't go forward. And the thing is like, that doesn't make any sense to me. You've got to set up to let him go forward and Mikalinko stay back. If you're going to be logical, um in some fashion. Uh unless Wait, you, but you
2: just said Mikolinko has the second most expected assists per 90.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's yeah, not having it's he, it, he's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's but really that's, low. That's, but 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 okay, okay. But the fair point is that like if you're gonna possess the ball over somewhere, maybe that's the way you do it. I I mean, but look, I, I just think that it doesn't help to throw Wobi over at the right and not get people forward. I mean, what the heck's the point of that? Uh, But yeah, I mean, we went through some of the different machinations here. I just don't know what you're going to do for wingers. Ultimately, you know, I mean, you've got gray. That's been a little unlucky. McNeil can't go forward. I mean, is Andros Townsend going to come in here and save Everton? I I mean, if you're going to play like quick counterattacking football, maybe, but he's not going to help with possession. I mean, certainly not. Mills is not worldies. He maybe could. I mean, Mills is not going to come in here and make a difference for God's sake, People. Uh, you could move a Wobie wide. I mean, honestly, that is one of the alternatives. You move a Wobie at one of the wide positions, ideally the left. At least you got some hold-up play. You could get some control. I mean, that's where he created, that's where he had the ridiculous numbers at Arsenal playing in right. left-half space. I mean, his creation numbers win? there are like the best in the league, but if you take him out of there, who the heck gets in the ball?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, he won't do that simply because he'll miss his work rate, like his defensive ability in the midfield. The only way Under. that works is if he plays, if he replaces him with Decorey.
1: I was gonna say a midfield of Ghana, Onana, and Decore would just be like maybe. I don't know. It could. Uh, I don't know if it'd be good, but it would be kind of interesting. And I, I think Ryan, your key point of like we do need in the modern game. There's no real way to get around the fact you need some sort of offensive output from your wide players.
0: You do, and I think when you look at their profiles, um, I mean, look, we need better players that when they're out there, they can actually beat people. Here's the other thing too. You don't have to be beating people right and left. You just need to have a threat. You need to either have pace or control and power. Like, like you just you have to have the ability for someone to say, "I don't want to go at this guy. He could beat me." Sometimes you see it with Gray. Now Gray's too slow when he gets it. Gordon is pacey and cannot get by someone to go by him, but he needs so much space behind that defender. In order to be effective and you've seen him get out wide sometime and getting across in but he doesn't often beat people clean and he's not going to beat people in a tight space you just need someone to be able to hold the ball for a second besides a well Wobie. the only one that can hold it up either through his body or whatnot you got to have someone to sit back there and they back off because otherwise you're never going to get the ball up the pitch if you're going to sit back deep and defend you got to have someone to hold up the ball whether it's center forward but having a winger to do that as well too Richarlison did that very well of course but to me that that's I don't see there's any way around it, man. You need better players out wide that have pace, that have power, that could beat people off the dribble and can create on their own accord. We have to get better out there. Every one of those guys has issues. You know what I mean? Like I think McNeil and even Gordon could eventually be very good players. I think Gray is okay on his day, but they're not great now. I mean, you've got to have some guys that don't have warts. You know? I mean this Mc- is, is Yarmolenko's music.
2: Oh, don't
0: don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> like Michelinco, uh, introducing his brethren signing on a free anyway. Um, so look, a lot of these numbers are very dire and they're not necessarily fun to go through, but, but I think it's very obvious. We talked through a lot of kind of the issues here. We talked, I mean, maybe we can make something with the defenders. We talked about structuring midfield. We're going to synthesize all those things, getting to some more comprehensive solutions in our part three um, any last words, gentlemen, since we've gone through the damage that was the objective evaluation of our performance that I'll tell you that attack to finish off with. There are just not many positives Ooh. in there for sure. I found it all rather cathartic, if I'm being honest. It felt good to kind of
1: get the the lay of the land, the objective numbers that support a lot of the observations that, you know, many fans have made throughout the course of this season. And I think the, the work that needs to be done is very clear. Um, as far as what needs to improve how we improve it, as Ryan said, we'll address next episode. But I do think Frank has plenty of work to do over the next you know, month or so. And then in the window to uh, address these problems, because otherwise we're going to be really right, right in the thick of it to the very end yet again this season. So uh, it's crunch time folks? Yeah. And I'm really
2: excited for this next episode because, <clears throat> you know, through ep- through different, uh, episodes, we'll talk about different things that we feel could work. And this is going to be a very succinct detailed list of, uh, of solutions that we feel like are viable. I think it's going to be a really fun episode to record and listen to and let your, uh, mind race free. So get ready. Hope you enjoyed this one and tune into the next one.
1: And we got names folks. We got, we're, we're dropping names on the next episode. We got a whole list. <laughs> of potential targets who's going to be the man to come in or men to come in and save everton we will uh ponder that very question on the next episode so stay tuned otherwise we appreciate you all very much for listening as always if you enjoyed the show leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice follow us on social media join our discord links in the description otherwise stay tuned for next time until then up the toffees